Good morning. There was an interesting story about the late president of the United States called Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that no one really paid any attention to what was said. So one day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who came down the line and shook his hand, he murmured these words. I just murdered my grandmother this morning. And oftentimes, the guests couldn't figure out what he was saying, and many of them replied by saying, Marvelous, sir. Uh, keep up the good work. That's fantastic. God bless you. We are so proud of you, sir. Uh, it was not till the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. And nonplussed, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> yes or no? You know, someone said that the first duty of love is to listen. If there's duty of love, the first duty of love is always to listen. So this morning, I know sermon time sometimes is a very good time to snooze. Especially it's warm here. Uh, but today, I want you to listen. Uh, because we have been talking a lot about Galatians, and now we are reaching chapter 6, which, will, which are some very practical instruction on what a, a community of people who believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, really looks like. As opposed to those who believe that salvation is by law. And so here, uh, next week, we'll finish up Galatians. And then we are going to look at uh, the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to study each character starting the week after. And so uh, next week will be our final session. And today is very practical words that uh, Josh has already read to us. It needs no explanation. But having said that, it was Mark Twain that said that it is not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. It is those parts of the Bible that do understand, that we do understand that actually bothers us. Because it's so easy, what are you going to do? Can you choose? It is not those complex texts that we don't understand. And so this text that is in front of us from verses 1 to 10 is a very easy text to understand. You read through some basic elementary English language vocabulary, you can understand what it says. So what I'm going to do is to help you to tie in this text into the context of Galatians. So that this works, you will make it relevant in the sense of what we're talking about in this context. Someone said that God wants spiritual fruits and not religious nuts. If you live according to law, salvation by law, as the Judaizer preached, then it is quite natural the environment will be very different. You will produce religious nuts. As it is, because of the situation of uh, Judaizer infiltrating the churches in Galatia, preaching the gospel, false gospel, things were coming unravel. People were not only confused about the gospel, but as a result, they were behaving like wild beasts. 
Because the environment becomes comparison, competition, self-righteousness, I'm better than you, whether you do this or not, why are you not doing this? The environment has become like that. And so Paul here loves the community. He needs to restore some normalcy there. He's kind of like a father resetting the family dynamic because a religious spirit has caused them to bite and devour. So God cares not just only our vertical relationship with Him, He cares about our horizontal relationship with others as well. The way you measure your vertical relationship is measured through horizontal. And so here in this passage, He's going to unpack and say, hey, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any works. And when you are in tune with the Spirit, or you are in step with the Spirit, as Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 said, if you are in step with the Holy Spirit, you are walking in the Spirit and not based on law, a different dynamic will appear in the community. And these are a few of them that he's going to list it out for us. It's very simple, straightforward. So listen to it because it applies to all of us here who believe that we are, not saved, we are saved by grace alone and not by law. And therefore, it helps to provide that dynamics. All right, so the first thing Paul says is restores the fallen. Restores the fallen. Build people up. Don't beat people up. Salvation by law will always beat people up. Paul here, he presents a hypothetical case of a believer who fell into sin. And this is what he says. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should beat them up. No? should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion among scholars. You know, scholars love to debate over minor things, you know. Uh, they talk about whether or not this situation is actually the person's deliberate sin, deliberate disobedience, or is caught in a sin, seems to imply sudden trip type of sin, since the word caught or overtaken, some other version, carries the idea of being surprised. But whatever it may be, it's still a sin. So Paul evoked the image of someone run down by a predator. And it is a perfect analogy because it reminds us that we are, as Christians, we are always pursued by Satan. One Peter said that it is like a rolling lion waiting for someone to devour. He's waiting. So it is not surprised that Paul uses this image, this analogy, because our enemy walks around like a rolling lion seeking whom he may devour. Warren Wiseby wrote a commentary on this, and he says, why did Paul use this illustration? Why? Why he use this illustration about someone caught in a sin? And he answered it by saying, because nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. 
John chapter 8, how does the Pharisee deal with people who sin? Bring them out, shame them. They do not need facts or proof. They need only suspicion and rumors. Their self-righteous imagination will do the rest. So in this paragraph, Paul was really contrasting the way the legalists would deal with the person who has fallen and the way that a spiritual person would deal with him. Instead of trying to restore the person who has fallen, the legalists will condemn the person and then use the person's sin to make themselves look better, make themselves look good. Oh, I wouldn't do such kind of things. Remember the story of the parable of Pharisee and the tax collectors in Luke chapter 18? So the legalist rejoices when someone falls and often gives the matter white publicity because then he can boast about his own goodness and how much better they can be compared to this person who has fallen. But the believer who walk in the Spirit, who walk in step with the Spirit, who knows that he is saved by grace, is not competing with other Christians or challenging them to become as good as it is. Because the legalists live by competition, they live by comparison, and they try to make themselves look good by making others look bad. But a Spirit-filled person lives by compassion and they are governed by the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the charitable spirit of wanting to restore rather than condemn. So the motivation is to restore, not to judge, not to condemn. The word restore simply means mend the net, like a fishing net. You mend it. Or it can also mean, restore means to restore a broken bone, like put bone together, join it back, and then bound it. And over time, it will grow back again. So restoration never minimizes the damage and the reality of sins. It's not to say you close one eye, you know, and, and just like that. While it takes sin seriously, it also believes in the power of restorative grace. It believes in God's power to turn a heart and rebuild a life. Because the Bible teaches that love will cover over what? A multitude of sins. And then towards the end of 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, it says love bears, love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so Paul said, well, a spirit-filled community is someone who knows how to restore those who have been fallen. They don't condemn them. And here it also says, you who live by the Spirit. Huh? Who should? You who live by the Spirit. I mean, people who walk in the Spirit, people in, in tune with the Spirit, who are mature, not there to condemn. We should restore the person what? Gently. Gently. Must approach with a spirit of gentleness. It is a fitting word because it is all too easy to be overly frustrated by the decisions others make. Gentleness must apply in this situation because it is very sensitive. But Paul also adds a warning. He said, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. 
A spirit-filled person knows that they are capable of and make sure not to fall into the same pit. They do not feel they are better than the person they are trying to restore. Like a soldier helping an injured comrade on the battlefield, cautiously alert for enemy fire, the restorer knows to proceed carefully lest the same traps work on him. A contrast, isn't it? The spirit-led believer approached the matter in a spirit of meekness and gentleness and love, while the legalist has an attitude of pride and condemnation. The legalist does not need to consider himself because he pretends he could never commit such a sin. But the believer living by grace realizes that no one is immune from falling. And therefore, the first thing Paul says, well, a spirit-filled community, someone who lives by grace, to manifest that in a community, you must learn to restore those who have fallen gently, gently, and also be on guard. When I was a young man, I listened to an American singer by the name of Chuck Gerard. He wrote a song called, Don't Shoot the Wounded. And these are the words. He said, don't shoot the wounded. They need us more than ever. They need our love, no matter what it is they have done. Sometimes we just condemn them and don't take time to hear their story. Don't shoot the wounded. Someday you might be one. It's easy to love the people who are who are standing hard and fast, pressing on to meet that higher calling. But the ones who might be struggling, we tend to judge too harshly and refuse to try and catch them when they are falling. We put people into boxes and we draw our hard conclusions. And when they do things we know they should not do, we sometimes write them off as hopeless. And we throw them to the dogs, our compassion and forgiveness sometimes seems in short supply. Don't shoot the wounded. They need us more than ever. They need our love no matter what it is they have done. Sometimes we just condemn them and don't take time to hear their story. Don't shoot the wounded. Someday you may be wounded. Don't shoot the wounded. Restoration is better than condemnation. The natural outcome of living by law in a community always leads to condemnation when dealing with someone who has fallen. Conversely, the natural outcome of living by grace in a community always leads to restoration when dealing with a fallen comrade. So don't shoot the wounded. Restore the person gently. Because someday we will become one. So that's the first thing. Number two, Paul says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burden. When you are spirit-filled, instead of judging, you come alongside and help each other. Be a burden lifter not a burden giver. Self-righteous people are intrinsically judgmental 
and they detest weakness. Charles Dickens said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. No one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. And here Paul said, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The legalist is not interested in bearing burdens. Instead, he adds to the burdens of others. Why you never do this? Here, in Matthew 23, the chapter that Jesus confronts the Pharisee, and Jesus says this about the Pharisee. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and he put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You know, the legalist is always harder on other people, but very light on themselves, very gentle on themselves. Whereas the spirit-led Christian, they always demands more of themselves than he does of others, that he might be able to help others. Interestingly, this verse, carry each other's burden, Paul say, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I, I find it fascinating that throughout the book of Galatians, he has been arguing about the ending of the so-called law in the sense, don't go down this pathway of mosaic law, reenacting all these things. And here, he used the law of Christ. Maybe he used a bit sarcastic in the sense by saying, well, since you want to obey law, then this is the law of Christ that you should obey. And that is carry each other's burden. Now, if you forward back to Galatians chapter 5, or backward, return back, he says here, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you put this verse and chapter 6 verse 2 together, side by side, you were beginning to see that carry each other's burden, to me, is the same as love your neighbor as yourself. Because you say, if you carry each other's burden, you fulfill the law of Christ. And then in chapter 5, before that, you say, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So carry each other's burden and love your neighbor as yourself is the same. It's the same. It's to love one another. It shows that to love one another as Christ loved us may lead us not to some heroic, spectacular deed of self-sacrifice, but to the much more mundane and unspectacular ministry of burden-bearer. To be a burden-bearer is a great ministry because everybody can do. It is something that all of us should and can do. It is a natural consequence of walking by the Spirit because it fulfills the law of Christ. Martin Luther, let me see whether I have this. No, I don't have it. Martin Luther says, to love is not just to wish one another well, but to carry one another's burdens. Therefore, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones. So drink more calcium must have strong shoulder and mighty bones. 
sturdy enough to carry heavy burdens. Paul said we should do that. We should carry each other's burden. Because life is tough. You can't do it on your own. We need one another. Even though we don't admit. But we need one another more than we care to admit. We can't do a lot of things on our own. We need help. But Paul adds on to this by saying, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Now this is a, quite, a, quite a blow, isn't it? We like to think that we are something. Uh, Paul said, well, in reality, you are nothing. Without Christ, you are nothing. Did you know the word Christian, spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, if you cancel away the word Christ, you are left with, left with what? Ian. Who is Ian here? Anybody Ian here? I-A-N. I-A-N simply means I am nothing. Without Christ, I am nothing. But with Christ, I am everything. Isn't it? That's why the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse always takes to one or the other extreme. It simply means to say, you cannot do anything on your own. Neither can you do all things on your own. You can only do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So Paul here is saying that in reality, you you can't. You can't say it. Therefore, you need to learn to carry each other's burden. He said, each one should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, because you, you interpret this verse in the context of People who observe law, they are comparing with each other, they are competing with each other. I'm better than you. I tick all the boxes. I tick 10 boxes. You only tick 8. You got two more to go. It's always the kind of environment when you're living by law and judging each other in the sense. And Paul here said, well, you should just test your own action. Then you take pride in themselves alone without comparing yourself to anyone else. Why? Because each one should carry their own load. You know, there are a lot of ways in the, uh, interpreting uh, this particular verse. As in, chap- in verse 2, it's almost a contradiction, isn't it? On one part, you must bear one another's burden, and on this verse, it says you carry your own load. In reality, the original word has different, they use different words. The first one is heavy load, whereas the second one is like a portion, like a backpack that each one of us can carry. So we are to bear one another's burdens which are too big for a person to bear alone, but there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to because it is a pack light enough for every person to carry themselves. And to me, that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So Paul said, carry your own pack. But in the larger context, you must carry each other's burdens. You know, life is very tough. We need to carry each other's burdens. So the second thing Paul mentioned about a community that is led by the Spirit, are in tune with the step of the Spirit, who believe that your salvation is by grace alone, the second thing is carry each other's burden. So if this community here 
is walking in the Spirit, we will learn to carry each other's burden. We will learn to carry each other's burden. No one should bear it on themselves. Number three, bless the ministry. Now, I put it, bless the ministry, because verse 6 is, is pretty self-serving in some sense, so, so I want to make sure I don't put it that way. Verse 3 says, Nevertheless, the, uh, sorry, verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. I mean, the principle is there, because throughout other parts of the Scripture, Word of God said the worker deserves his wages, or 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul said, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That is why we support mission. That is why you give to the church so that I can live. Caroline can live because you give. You bless the church. Church is not a profit-generating ministry or institution, even though we rent out hall here and there to get some money here, this and that, but as a whole, it is not a profit-generating institution in a sense. And so your giving to the church then help to support us, help to support the ministry here. So Paul is saying that if you are walking in the Spirit and you're in tune with the Spirit, then you must seek to bless the ministry. Not just the church, even our mission, uh, during Mission Month or last Sunday, the collection on the field for, for Mission Aviation Fellowship. Many of you give because you are in that position that you are able to give. Bless the ministry, invest in eternity, let it flow. Of course, we have to look after our family. We don't have to go to the ultra kind of way of expression of our faith. You have to give up everything uh, to follow Jesus in the sense. Uh, here, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So of course, as believers, we must look after our family. We should not use giving as a, as a reason for not looking after our family and they have to eat peanut butters and bread and uh, all that kind of things. We don't have to do that. We should provide for our family. But having said that, when the Lord provides us, we should also learn how to use our resources that God has given to us for His kingdom to invest in eternity. Because other verses in Timothy also say, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provide us with everything for our enjoyment. So please do enjoy your wealth. If you have, please do, because God has richly provided us for everything for our enjoyment. We don't always have to feel guilty or whatever, even to reckless, but we can enjoy the fruit of our labor. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul simply just said, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous, and to be willing to share. To be willing to share. If God has blessed you, manage your resources well, look after your family, enjoy your fruit of the labor, but also use it to invest in God's work. Bless ministry. Bless the ministry, because they do need support uh, desperately. Timothy Keller said, If you have been assigned the goods of this world by God, 
and you don't share them with others, it isn't just stinginess, it is injustice. Think of these strong words. It is not just stinginess, it is injustice. And if the Lord somehow has blessed you with more, use it wisely to invest in ministry, to invest in eternity, which I believe many of you have done uh, in this church, which you are fantastic in many ways. And Frank, I'm sure um, Helmut will know of her writing, German-born Jewish girl who kept a diary in which she documented life in hiding under Nazi persecution. She died at the age of just 16. But when, during her hiding, she kept a diary. She wrote a lot of things from 1942 to 44. But she was eventually uh, caught and uh, eventually died at the age of 16. And you can, the publication of the diary of a young girl uh, one of the world's best-known books and has been the basis for several plays and films. And in the diary, she put it, she wrote, she added in this word. She said, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. There is something wonderful about the dynamic of learning to give. There's something very special about this dynamic of learning to give. And so the third thing Paul says, a spirit-filled community is not just restore the fallen, not just to helping each other to carry burdens, but also to bless, learning to bless the ministry, bless any ministry that needs financial assistance that you are in a position to help, we must be able to help. And lastly, is to keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep sowing to the Spirit, as opposed to sowing to the flesh. You know, how are you sowing your seed? If you are given 20 seed, what are you going to do? Where are you going to sow your seed? The life that God has given to us, what are you going to sow it into? What are you going to invest it into? Francis Chan, uh, American author, used to say, I'm not afraid of failing. I'm afraid of excelling in things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of excelling in things that don't matter. Keep sowing through the Spirit. Here it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So no one can blame God. It's a universal principle. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. 
Now, let me explain this in this context. It is a universal principle. It's true to say that you will reap what you sow. That is universal principle. You study hard, you work your hard, you think about your retirement, you make plans, you save so that you have enough retirement, and then you reap your reward. You, you, you reap what you sow, in a sense. It's a universal principle. Uh, but this context is... is to me, it's more referring that because the Judaizer has been teaching that the merits of Jesus Christ were not sufficient to justify. And according to them, Christians must submit to ritual circumstances, observant of the dietary laws, keep the feast days in order to be justified. They were clearly teaching a false gospel and denying the gospel as taught by Paul, namely that we are justified by Jesus alone. And it is the false gospel of the Judaizer which is the seed spoken of here, which is sown into the flesh. And Paul is saying, what happened when you sow this seed into the flesh? Observation by law and all this kind of thing. What it will be your crop? What kind of crop will this produce? Destruction. And therefore, therefore, the community is like that. It was devouring each other. There is a, it's a very toxic environment. And therefore, they are reaping what they believe, in the sense. The community is toxic, competing, biting each other. You know, someone fallen, they shame them, and all that kind of things. And Paul said, you are, you are reaping what you sow. You believe in this gospel. But he went on to say, but if you believe in the gospel that is by grace, then that will be different. The one who sowed to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. And that is the one who believes the gospel as taught by Paul, sows seed that also produces a certain kind of crop, a crop which will manifest not the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. And so the question then is, what kind of ground are you sowing your seed on? The result will be equally certain, though in this case, the result is not destruction, but eternal life, those who sow in the Spirit. And so the principle of sowing and reaping is very clear. Which gospel will you believe? Paul's gospel is the gospel that you a seed that produces the fruit of the Spirit that leads to eternal life, or the false gospel of the Judaizer, which produces the fruit of the flesh that leads to everlasting destruction. You know the old adage that says this, sow a thought, you reap an action, you sow an action, you reap a habit, you sow a habit, you reap a character, and you sow a character, you reap a destiny. It starts off with a thought. Thought. What do you believe? You believe that salvation is by law, then it will reap down a particular destiny. If you believe that salvation is by grace alone, you will go down a certain pathway. Many years ago, I heard of a sermon by this, had four points to it. It's a good sermon, it's a good, good point. I added one more. Uh, it says, you reap what you sow. 
Number two, you reap where you sow. You can't be sowing seed here and reaping at home, you know. You reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. And thirdly, you reap more than you sow. And fourthly, you reap later than you sow. I add in the fifth point, you reap what others have sown as well. I, I reap many fruits of what others have sown as a pastor. I baptized a lady who is about 90 years old. And before I baptized her, not in this church, before I baptized her, I said to the crowd, I said, it would be very foolish of me to think that because I preached a sermon, she responded to me and she decided to get baptized to claim all the credit. I said, for 90 years of her life, many people have so seed in her life. Her two daughters, her neighbors, her teacher, whoever has so so much seed into her life. I just happen to be at the end, collect it. So you reap what others have sown as well. And then Paul went on to say this in his conclusion on this particular text. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know how easy it is to become weary, especially when you're doing good. Very hard. Very hard not to become weary because when you do good, sometimes you don't get good things in return at the start. Here God is saying, Paul is saying here, why you don't give up? Because at the proper time, spring, wait, wait. At the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to this household of faith. Don't give up. Wait for God's timing. Keep on doing good. Persevere. Perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. And sometimes even after you have gone from this world, keep doing what is right. God in his own timing will produce a harvest. Many, many people sow seed they didn't get to see until much years later. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Do good. Do good. Let the Holy Spirit inspire you to do good. Because at the proper time, God will get someone, or maybe yourself, reap a harvest if you don't give up. And since we have the opportunity since you have the opportunity while you're still alive, 
Do something good. Malcolm Margaret wrote a book about Mother Teresa. He was a man, English journalist, that put Mother Teresa on the map because he, she did a, he did a documentary about Mother Teresa in BBC. And as a result of that, Mother Teresa became popular. He spent many, many days and months with Mother Teresa writing about her work. And in the book, towards the end, he asked Mother Teresa, he said, Mother, can you tell me what is one last thing you want me to tell the world? And Mother Teresa said, write these words in the book. It is never too late to do something beautiful for Jesus. It is never too late to do something beautiful for Jesus. Never too late. If God has given you an opportunity, do good. Do good. Do good. Don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what is right. Keep on keeping on. Do what is right. Don't give up because it will produce a harvest. May not during your lifetime. May not be. But you can hear many, many testimony. How? Because of someone do something that leads to something else. So let us. How wonderful, Anne Frank, another quote that in her diary. How wonderful it is that nobody needs to wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. And she kept the diary. She died. Many years later, it used some fruit. It inspired many people. And people know what is exactly happening during the time. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Do something for someone. Do something beautiful for Jesus. Let me conclude with this. I've uh, read this before, but I think it's appropriate to finish this. And now I'll invite Josh to come and close with this song. Uh, it's called Do It Anyway. Many people attributed it to Mother Teresa, but it is not. It is not written by Mother Teresa. It's written by a guy called Ken Keith. <clears throat> Do It Anyway. But it was found in the in, in uh, Mother Teresa's uh, orphanage. The, the plug was placed up. So people falsely attributed it to Mother Teresa. But actually it's not written by this guy called Ken Keith. He said, do it anyway. I want to, I want to encourage you, uh, create opportunity, and be a blessing uh, in this community. It says this, people are often unreasonable, they are illogical, and they are self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. 
If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the best you've got anyway. Now, this is a punchline. He said, you see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Lord, we just want to pray that in increasingly hard to preach the gospel in an information age where people are hostile towards anything that, about God. Partly because institution has fought, we have been bad testimony. Unfortunately, the press only focus on a few as if they all churches are like that. All priests are pedophile. There are millions of priests who are well devoted in serving you in quiet manner. But that is the way of the world. And so we pray that when we can't preach the gospel, we live the gospel. Especially visible way in a community like us. That we will seek to restore those who have fallen. We will seek to carry each other's burden. We know how to use our resources to bless people and ministry and workers. We know how to keep sowing into the spirit that will reap eternal life. Keep believing that salvation is by grace alone. Keep believing that Jesus is sufficient. Keep believing that it is not by work or anything that we have done that saves us. Keep on sowing in the Spirit. And then the fruits will show. We will reap eternal life. We will keep going. We will do good. We will create opportunity to be good. Whether it is through the AA ministry or many other sort of ministry that we have, we will seek to do good. Thank you, Lord. May you bless each one of us. May you stir our hearts to play our part in this community that in any way we seek to shine for you a vibrant, good, beautiful, biblical community that can live out the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.